0: the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host. We all have ruts as Christians. Let's be honest. We want to do what God says. The name of the book, Disruptive Discipleship, by Sam Van Emmon. The Power of Breaking Routine to Kickstart Your Faith. Welcome to the program.
1: Thanks, Mike. It's good to be here.
0: It's great to have you. So, Sam, we have to break the honest truth here. Are people lazy, even if they're Christians?
1: <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> uh I remember challenging a college professor one time who said there's no such thing as laziness, and um, and I pushed back and she said, you know, well I think it's because people haven't found their fit yet. They haven't found what's motivating them. But I think it's more than that. I think um, anxiety is involved. I think we're afraid. You know, the more experience we have, in some ways, uh, the older we get, we think we don't want to do that again. We don't want to have that confrontation. We don't want to uh, run into that scary thing again, so we, we avoid this and then that and then the next thing. And eventually we've got this long, long, long subconscious list of things that we want to avoid. And so when it comes time for Jesus to say get out of the boat, well, we've we've almost drowned a few times, we're kind of get we get seasick,
0: we're afraid of boats. We'd rather just sit on the you know, the beach chair and,
1: and watch the surf. I think I think that's more of what happens. Yeah, I could be wrong, but that's been my experience personally.
0: Well, you wrote the book. Okay. <laughs> well, first of all, I mean, don't the two go together? Disruptive discipleship. In order to be a disciple, don't you have to be disrupted? It isn't where we start right there? Because people, you know, can go through the back, and let's be honest, we've all done that. And we sit right down, we have a little coffee, maybe cake afterwards. But yeah. to really be challenged to be a disciple, uh, can you comment on that?
1: Yeah, uh, so, so I think there's two, two, two ways that this can happen. One is uh, the Lord comes in and disrupts us. Mm. Something comes along, a certain bad news, uh, your child gets sick, uh, the commute is just uh, really tough, and, and there's a disruption that we don't sign up for. We don't plan for it, and that, that leads to a kind of discipleship where if we're willing to listen and learn, but the other kind, the kind that I try to focus on, because we get those things automatically, the kind I focus on is what about when things are going well or when life seems to be okay? What does it mean for you and me to sign up for something difficult on purpose? Right. So instead of sitting in the back at church on, on Sunday morning and trying to slip out afterwards, what would it mean for me to move ten rows forward or to sit in another section? Or to sit with someone who is 10 or 20 or 30 years difference in age. I mean, that's a small thing. But but we don't know how God might open up a door or an opportunity for us. That we didn't see there had we not taken
0: that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, we find our own way too much instead of doing the way that uh, Jesus has for us. But you, Sam Van Emmon, you are a resource specialist for the CCO's experiential design team where... You um, co-create transformational experiences for college students, professionals, and organizations, although you knew that. I'm just reading the back of your book. So tell us a little bit about what you do, for and what is the CCO?
1: Okay. So the CCO is an organization that's been around for about 40 years. It's based in Pittsburgh, and we, we partner with colleges, churches, other organizations to develop men and women who live out their Christian faith in every area of life. So we, have a, uh, we do discipleship, we, we do uh, uh, Bible study and scripture and all these, evangelism, we do all these things. We also have a, a pretty strong focus on helping students connect their faith and their work. That's a big part of something we believe is important, that God cares about every area of life and wants us to live faithfully on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and all through the week. And so one of the areas, and this is kind of a specialty thing in some, in some regards, We have a department called Experiential Designs, and so I work in that department. I started in the CCO on campus uh, many years ago, just doing kind of your traditional campus ministry. But but what I saw was when students signed up for a backpacking trip or a caving trip, Mm -hmm. they would step into this area where they really knew nothing about it. They might have gone car camping as a family when they were growing up. But here they were stepping into something new, you know, in a place where we might be in the woods for six or seven days, away from the van, away from a, you know, a bathroom with a porcelain sink. And there was an opportunity for them to realize that uh, they they had limitations. And so my job is to facilitate their experience. So if the storm comes in and they learn they're afraid of the dark and they have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and there's raccoons and other animals that can identify my job is to try to help them uh, understand what does this reveal about their faith or lack of faith, and ultimately, you know, whether they're Christians or non-Christians, how do I um, invite them into a walk with Jesus that uh, that, that challenges them to live into uh, a, a life of trust uh, in Him? So yeah, that's some of that's just a fraction of what we do, but but in my department and where I work. It's about designing experiences that lead to transformation.
0: Okay, and so let's just say we move that into the church there. And uh, so, what are some of the things that pastors might do in order to incorporate some of your uh, theories here in the book? And uh, and what can what are some of the changes you've seen from Christians from disrupting, let's just say, their normal routine? And one before you answer that question, you hit it hard with me when you said that uh, I'm not a TV hater. In the book, the TV and I just needed to work out some issues, and so we'll get to that as well. That kind of so how do you, how do you make those changes in the church?
1: So, so here's kind of a, a, a foundational, I don't want to say a problem, right? Because there's all kinds of ways that we learn. Uh, it could be through a conversation. It could be through an experience. Um, one of the most challenging ways to learn and for that learning to stick is through lecture, uh, where someone is just giving us words. And, and the way the church runs, typically, is that there is a, Someone who stands
0: at a podium or a lectern at the pulpit, and mm-hmm. they give a sermon, they give
1: us three points or six points, and they try. Three, please.
0: <laughs> three, three,
1: three, 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 yes. Three's a, three's a great number. <laughs> and, and then, and we're sitting there passively, not engaged, not interacting, not even experiencing. Um, and, and so I think this is a real challenge for any pastor, for any teacher in the church. Uh, when it is a one-way conversation. So if I get tired or if I suddenly remember that I forgot to turn off the crock pot or if I, you know, whatever it is, I get hungry or cold or the fan is too much on my head, I suddenly uh, lose track of where he or she was in the sermon. That makes it very challenging. So, so that, that, that is to start. I think that's a difficult uh, hurdle or obstacle to overcome for any teacher. Right. We start to so so. Think about think back. Go back to grade school
0: or elementary school. Uh, I I don't know what it was like for you. I, I know even it was terrible. It was
1: terrible. Well, we had five rows, five, you know, and five desks in each row, that sort of thing. I'm a Van Em and so I was the V. I sat way in the back, last row, last seat. Um, and and I could easily daydream because I was so far away from the teacher. It was fantastic in in some regards. But but. When our kids, I have a 16-year-old and a 13-year-old, and when when my wife and I were raising our kids, uh, we were often volunteering in the classroom when we got a chance. And they had what they called centers. And so there's a carpet area, and there's a computer area, and there's a terrarium area, and a reading area, and so on. And every 40 minutes or so, the kids would rotate through the room and work on different things. And so what was happening was they were engaging different parts of their brain, the creative side, the aesthetic side the intellectual side, the audible side. So it was all these different parts of them, the decision-making side. And and by the end of the day, the kids had this rich, rich experience going through the school day, learning a lot of different topics, but learning in various ways. And, and, and somewhere along the way, middle school, high school, college, I don't know where it happens, but we stop. we stopped doing that. You know, where did the flannel graphs go? Do you remember flannel
0: graphs? No, I was gonna, what's that? Oh, come on now. flannel graphs
1: no really oh my oh my goodness so so you're, you're so flannel graphs were amazing so flannel graphs was like how I learned my early Bible stories um, so there's a it's like flannel like a flannel shirt but it's a cloth board and then you have all these cut out flannel figures it could be Moses or David or a sheep or a wall and the teacher would tell the story while putting these flannel pieces on the board. Hmm. And so she would essentially tell us the story, but also show it to us visually. And so so I, I might not have remembered all the words, but I was also seeing it visually, how the story was being told. I could see it right there in front of me in color.
0: So you're saying, let me stop you for just a minute. So you're saying that we, we hear too many sermons, too many things. We're not seeing it, though. We're not seeing the gospel in action.
1: Right. So... How many times have you heard the Sermon on the Mount or the Rich Young Ruler? Right? Uh, it, it's over and over and over again, and, and somehow it makes its way in. But what if a pastor, a teacher, at church was able to engage uh, a more uh, complete way of thinking about how God created us? So that we are, we're not just audible learners. We're 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 aesthetic learners. We're people who need to make decisions. We're we're tactile people. I need to see and touch and feel. Jesus didn't just say, go make disciples and here's a little pamphlet on how to do it. He said, come on, I want to show you. And and here's an interesting one of my my favorite uh, stories is that I that I knew well, but that I've been thinking about in a different way since writing disruptive discipleship is when Jesus wants to feed the crowd, the big crowd, right? I knew the story from flannel graphs and from Sunday school and from
0: past You're going to have to send me one because I I don't know what it looks like, but I, I'm going to YouTube that. I'm sure our audience will too. We're flannel graph. Yeah, you'll,
1: you'll find it. And I bet there's some folks out there who know flannel graphs. Yeah, they probably taught it.
0: So- I don't know. I'm from Long Island. I never heard of it. <laughs>
1: oh, Michael, you, you, you've, got to get, you've got to get a flannel graph. So this is what we grew up with. Well... Uh, so Jesus Jesus needs to feed the 5,000. And he, he turns to, this, to, the, to the disciples and says, uh, You feed them. Now he knows that they can't feed them. And he knows that they know that there's no store nearby and that they don't have enough money to do it. But, he, but he, there he is with the crowd in sight. And, and, and imagine, you're the, just in this little... Group of disciples, and they're on the other side, thousands and thousands of people. It's a huge crowd. It's in the moment, right now. Jesus says, "Feed them." Right? That's very different than reading a document on how to feed five thousand people. This is right now in the moment, and hmm. it's in the sense, Jesus knows he's going to do it. But what's the disciples in a position to wonder how on earth would I do it? So that. When Jesus then feeds the 5,000, they have this very real experience of faith. They now know what it means to run into the end of themselves, to come to the end of themselves and not be able to fulfill Jesus' request, and then to see him fill it. So that's very different than Jesus saying, Hey, have faith in me, I can do all things actually puts them in a place where they realize, I can't do it. Who can? And Jesus says, I can that that's an altogether together different experience than just
0: being told. All right. So if you put that into um, practice as far as uh, you know, disrupting, there are a lot of people who, yeah, we all feel convicted that, yes, we get into our ruts and uh, we need uh, to break our routine so we could be more for the Lord Jesus. So what are some examples that you would give as far as uh, practically that you, you, know, you hear, like you mentioned about the television? I mean, do we just get rid of TV altogether? And what are some other examples you may have?
1: Oh my goodness! Um, so it, it, it's—I'll I'll say this generally—it's um, any time you feel that that Holy Spirit prompt to do something and you want to run away from it, right? So that that happens to us plenty of times, even in the course of a day. You see someone who might need help. A neighbor does something, and you know you need to talk to them, right? Uh, the TV is on too long, and you know it shouldn't be, right? It's the, and then it's. It's uh, denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him. It's in that moment, very practically, turning off the TV, calling the neighbor, uh, helping the person in need. It's doing that thing right then. But that, that is. So, and I say that easily. But doing it is an altogether different challenge. So I'm not going to say, all right, you know, Michael, for you to take your next step of faith, I want you to drop what you're doing and move to another part of the world for the next six months. Right? That's a huge step. And some people can do that. Uh, what it may mean is I want you to um, put, uh, I don't know, itchweed on your horn so that when you touch it, it's going to really, you know, irritate you so that when you drive to work tomorrow and you're sitting in traffic, you can't lay on the horn. It's, you
0: know, I'm, I'm, I'm being a bit facetious here. Yeah. <laughs> but it's about practicing these very difficult
1: things. I think, I think what's important um, also is recognizing where it is – uh, what are those areas that are, are stuck points for you? So, so, can I tell you a story about, uh, some homeless people? Yeah, sure. Alright, so, about a year ago, uh, well, I'll back up one more year. I decided during Lent, uh, so I grew up in a church, that didn't, didn't, uh, practice Lent, didn't acknowledge it. I didn't even know what it was until I was in my twenties. And then I was working for a church that did. And, um, so, so, uh, one of the practices I did a couple years ago was decided that I was going to go to bed at 11 o'clock every night for Lent. Now, that may not be, seem like a big deal, but I'm a night owl.
0: Hmm. I,
1: I, don't, I couldn't remember the last time I had been in bed before midnight, let alone 11. So I told my wife, all right, I'm going to go to bed at 11. Now, is it just to go to bed at 11? That was the whole point? No. Ultimately, I wanted to see what more sleep would do for my attitude, for my clarity, for my patience with my kids, right? So. Going to bed at 11 was not the point. It was a way to deal with something that I had struggled with for years in order to see how God might want to use that to grow me. And so I did for for those six weeks. It was miserable. Every night, I did not want to go to bed at 11. I would would sort of roll my... You
0: missed the Tonight Show. I missed all of
1: it. And my wife would say... Sammy, just come to bed. It's okay. I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm going to stare at the ceiling. I'm not tired. But I did it. And I'll tell you,
0: you what. You sound like Woody Allen. What am I going to do? Stare, stare, stare at the ceiling. <laughs> Great impersonation. So yeah, <laughs> what am I going to do? And so I did it. And,
1: and that was a year and a half ago. I am still reaping the benefits of that. I am more patient. I didn't know it was possible. So it is, it is having discipleship benefits just because I went to bed at 11. Okay, so here's the homeless story. So last year, coming into the fall, my supervisor asked if I would be willing to lead a trip uh, around homelessness. I would take some college students. Well, uh, listen, Michael, I'm going to confess this. I don't like homeless people. I don't understand Mm. them. I'm afraid of them. I'm judgmental about them. I think they should work harder. And it doesn't matter that I grew up, and through my teenage years, we stood in the cheese line, and we had welfare. I was poor. I was on the receiving end. But still, I looked at homeless people with this very critical judgmental eye so my boss asked me to do this and I don't want to especially because I have better options that I want to do but I know I know that I need to because I don't love these people so I tell my boss okay yes I'll do it so I sign up and I go and I spend three or four days with students and homeless people and it was scary at first. We met a guy who's lived in the woods for 15 years, and they only discovered him six months before
0: this trip. Wow. I'm heading into the woods, and I'm with this uh,
1: a, a host, a friend of ours, who works for Living Ministry in Pittsburgh. And I said, I said, Jeff, can you tell me about this guy? I'm a little nervous. And he said, I've never met him. And I, what was my response? Why on earth are we doing this? We're going to die. I had no idea.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. But
1: it turned out fine. It was a wonderful
0: encounter. So, wait, wait, hold on a minute. So 15 years in the woods and and never coming out?
1: Well, he would. He came out in a way that he was off everyone's radar. No one knew, not even any of the, uh, the outreach and homeless agencies. No one knew this guy existed. Um, they usually have an, an idea. Okay, there are this many people who live under the bridge, this many people who live in that alley. And they know their first names, and they're at least plugged into some kind of system. This guy was off the grid completely, um, and so they had just they just discovered him uh, and found him living under a tarp with a 20 foot pile of trash, all neatly bagged up by my hand. So, uh, so I, that's October, and I come home and I think, you know what, it wasn't too bad. So I go back in January and I'm meeting with some leaders and we're talking about how would we make this a longer trip. And I'm feeling a little more comfortable. We work at an all-night emergency shelter and everything's fine. So we, so, so we plan this big trip, an eight-day trip in May, this past May. And it's the night before the trip. The students are lined up, everything, all the planning and everything, and I go to the grocery store to get snacks. Because, Michael, I have snack panic. It goes all the way back to my childhood when I had food insecurities. We didn't have enough. I mean, I, I say that carefully. God did provide. But I wanted snacks. So I'm driving in the parking lot, and I all of a sudden, it was like the heavens parted, and the Lord comes down and says, Sam, what are you doing? You, you, you're going to work with homeless people, and you are worried about having enough snacks to fill in the in-between. So I knew in that moment, I was like, Lord, please don't ask me to do this. I said yes to working with homeless. Don't make me say no to snacks. And so
0: I you didn't want to, to give them. your snacks is that, to the homeless people.
1: Oh my goodness! But I want. <laughs> like <laughs>
0: come on, Sam. Yeah, that's you know. <laughs> Michael, this is this is. <laughs> you really, you just really like snacks.
1: I really do, and I, and and it's not that I, I'll come home with them not even eaten sometimes. Uh, the 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 challenge. This is this is it. This is where I came in, into. Uh, it's face to face with my fear
0: so what happened here with these homeless people
1: alright so so the, the, the grocery store parking lot and I decide I can't do this so I turn and I leave I drive out of the parking lot and, um, and for the next 8 days I don't eat anything that isn't served to me so sometimes we serve the homeless sometimes they serve us or, or someone else serves us and we just eat with them and I'll tell you what's so hard. When it's 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, and someone serves you a plate of food for dinner, and it's not enough, and I can't ask for more, and I know it's going to be uh, 12, 13, 14, 15 hours before I'm going to eat breakfast, and I, I can't eat anything, I, suddenly like my heart rate goes up, I start breathing a little differently, and I'm thinking, all right, Lord, is this what you want me to do? Like I, I, I don't know about this. I don't feel real good about this. And I did. I'll tell you, for eight days, it was kind of like, uh, when I went to bed at 11 o'clock every night. It was miserable. I was always thinking about, but I'll tell you what I was able to do. First, I ended up being fine. That, that was first. That, it was all a perceived fear, not an actual. So it was a, it was a perceived limitation, not an actual limitation. The second thing is, I was able to step into, uh, it was solidarity with the people we were serving. That that was uh that was really important for me to to feel what it's like to not know when my next meal is gonna come. I needed to do that. Um, and the third thing, and this was totally unexpected, but I'm a thin
0: guy. I always have been, but um, I discovered olive oil last year. Even with all the snacks too. I know, and <laughs> and I just and so I
1: gained about 15 or 20 pounds. Okay, so so now you know. Finally, my mom was like, "Oh, you look normal now." So so. After this homeless trip in May, um, I stopped eating snacks at night and and really cut back in between meals. I've lost 15 pounds. I, I just wasn't expecting it. So that was that's not why we do this. It's not why we do discipleship. But that was a side uh, benefit. So there's my homeless story.
0: All right. So you're saying that you know you have to put yourself in the shoes of another person, perhaps, in order to disrupt your routine. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so and we can't really feel for other people, perhaps, because we don't ever do that. I mean, sometimes we have a routine. We know what we're going to do after church and that type of thing. But uh, I guess you have to be disrupted, be willing to be disrupted, like the way you are willing to be disrupted with homeless people. You are willing to be disrupted with your snacks. You selfish man. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. No, no, no I, eat, I eat a lot of snacks, too. But so, I mean, disruptive discipleship, what would you say that is in, in a nutshell? So
1: it's this. It's recognizing that you and I, none of us, that we cannot afford to stay at our current maturity level. That's where we start. We, we, we have to recognize that we cannot afford to stay at our current maturity level. And then it's creating space for God to enter into that space and do the work He needs to do. Does that make sense?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, it sounds like uh, the, I mean, it sounds like the, you know, have your way with us, Lord, have your way with us. And that too often that we, we block Him out. So okay, so you're saying that maybe if we get too comfortable in a routine, that we don't really hear from God.
1: No, no, because when, when I'm comfortable. Uh, so this is why we take students into the wilderness And why I encourage people to take steps of faith Because um, we get to a point Where I've solved enough issues And I've, I've sort of secured my life And my savings and my friends and so on That I now don't need the Lord I say that with, with, with air quotes we, we, we come to a point where You know what, I've got this financially I've, I've got enough friends And the right kinds of friends I'm in the right kind of church I like my car, there are no weeds in my yard, whatever it is. We come to that point where we're thinking, you know what, now I can just rest, I don't need anyone. And what happens when people go into uncomfortable situations, and I see this over and over and over again, Michael, when people are in an uncomfortable situation, they automatically turn to the left and right looking for help. They will, and here's how you see it, in the wilderness. When, when there's a, oh, you, you, you've probably seen this like in a, like a commercial for a scary movie or something, right? The popcorn flies in the air, and people lean into each other. It's 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 this automatic response to get close. And right? So by by putting ourselves into disruptive situations, uncomfortable situations on purpose, um, it forces us to rely on the community, on the body of Christ that God has provided. And it makes us say, Lord, I don't know what to do next. Help me here. I'm not sure what my next move is. And we know that when we're in a job change, or we get really hard health news, uh, when our kids are rebellious or whatever it is, um, those are those moments where we recognize, yeah, I was immediately on the phone calling so-and-so, calling so-and-so, calling my pastor, calling a, a friend, calling someone who could, who could help me through this. And I was on my knees. And so... If life is comfortable and life is going well, well, why should I make those
0: phone calls? Yeah, it also sounds. It sounds like people who are comfortable though, don't like to make those phone calls because they're in their bubble, and that's exactly right. That's so, is that what you're saying that we need to reach out more? I mean, it, it. Now, you think about church. I mean, that's a place where you expect us all to connect with one another. Yet, yeah, it can be passive still. <laughs> where we're not really interacting or taking part or certain people in the church do this and that and so what's preventing us from reaching out more to other people rather uh, those 30 seconds where you shake that fella's hand and then the rest of the church service begins what can we do
1: oh my goodness well uh I, i'll tell you when we're in a large church and I, I, this has always been my experience in church is people put their best foot forward um, I don't know what it is about Sunday morning but there is something where whatever arguments you are having whatever stress on the way to church right, get everyone ready you get there and it's all smiles and it's the crisp shirt and it's saying hi to somebody and it's how are you oh great I'm fine how are you um, We're we're not ready for some reason to open up And and that doesn't mean that when I walk into church and the first person who says, Hey, Sam, how are you? I just tell them exactly what's going on. There is a time and place for that. Mm -hmm. But I I think some more honesty and transparency is needed. And, And what I find is the more honest and the more transparent I am, the more people around me are invited into a more honest and transparent life as well. So I can lead by example. Simply by opening up and, and, and trusting that my friendships aren't dependent upon my ability to put my best foot forward. If that's the case, maybe those aren't the kinds of friends that I need. So I want a, a kind of honesty and a, a transparency that um, uh, that shows a trust that God
0: will provide even for that. Now Sam, when you when you say forgive me, when you say the power of breaking routine, to kickstart your phase, what is that power to break routine? I mean, if you had to just if you had to give us maybe five, you know, mm-hmm. tips, if you will, you know, to break the power, uh, the power to break your routine. That's really what a lot of people are looking for because people, I think, they really want to do well, but they're unable to do it. But um, you know, you're giving us good insight, obviously. But I don't know if you have so just some, you know, bullet points there about the power of breaking routine.
1: Yeah. Um, so. I think the first thing is to, as I said a little earlier, I think it's, um, it starts with recognizing that we can't afford to stay at our current maturity level. Okay, that's step one. That's just acknowledging the truth. Okay, Once we start there, now it's time for something else. And so you could, start, you could go second with a, a question like, what, what area am I stuck in? What area could I afford to grow in? And like where, where have I been kind of comfortable for too long? Right? So that would be the second uh, uh, volley of questions, if you will, just exploring, right? And you can do that by, uh, you know, journaling about it or asking a friend, uh, spending some time in prayer, just saying, "Lord, how, where? What do you see? Where am I too comfortable right now?" All right. So that's sort of that second piece. Um, the third would be uh, to consider uh, a, a, an experience, some kind of uh, challenge. That would push you in that particular area. So, if if I so here's for me, the example would be um, I recognize that I can't afford to stay at my current maturity level. That's that's a given. The second would be, um, well, uh, recognizing that um, the last time I passed someone who was homeless, I realized I not only didn't want to give them anything, but I kind of had this like negative feeling toward them. Oh, that's interesting. I want to pay attention to that. So I ask, all right, Lord. What's going on there? Why am I like that? Uh, and should I be feeling that way? And what's going on with my love for them, my love for neighbor. This was one of your chief commands.
0: Mm. Okay, so then uh, I've got something. Now I, I know I'm missing. I'm
1: stuck in love, if you will. Uh, stuck uh, in an immature kind of love. And so then I have to look for a way. And, and maybe it just means the next time I see someone on the street or past them at a traffic light, I just say... Hey, look, uh, I'm sorry, but uh, I, I'm not always real kind to homeless people. I know you're out here asking for money. Uh, help me out, like help me understand like your story, I, because I don't feel like I've really given you the time of day. I pass you here every Tuesday, right? So it just starts with just doing something a little crazy, a little risky, but taking a step out. And from there, who knows? I mean, a, part of what I do with, with groups, with students, with individuals is to get them started on this journey. I can't predict. I'm not a. I'm not the Messiah. I can't predict what's going to happen or where the Lord's going to take them. I have to trust that the Spirit is going to work through us. I have to trust that Jesus uh, has someone's um, a future in mind and will take them in, in places. And then, then my role becomes as sort of a, a, a facilitator or a companion. Uh, all I can do is get them started. So th- those are three, areas, mm-hmm. three ways.
0: That, that yeah, I think so. And um, I was going to say, you know, Jesus taught us to share our snacks <laughs> and our food. You know, he liked fish and everything. You have it here. It's something called um, a journeying prayer. It says, Jesus, take me once again on a journey. Take me to the city. Take me to the valley and to the mountains. Take me to the desert Take me to the place of wandering, the place of hunger, the place of solitude and of pain. Take me to the place where you seem so far away. Yet only you are there. Remove my crutches of possessions. Remove the pillars of my faithless life. Remove all the thumbs I suck. And there in that place where nothing is left, there refine my soul. Amen. Now, the person was was Andy Freeman and Peter and pete Gregg. and peter Gregg, and is it a book called punk monk
1: yes i I just and i I, a confession here i've not read this book but this prayer came to me years ago uh through a uh, an international trip we were doing and i and we put it on a t-shirt we we loved it so much Um, so i got permission to use the prayer um, from baker books and um and i it just comes back to me because i think this is one of those open-ended prayers, right? Uh, you, you said this earlier, too. It's, it's, a, it's a thy will be done kind of prayer. Jesus, take me wherever. And it's it's literally, whether it's the city or the valley or mountain or desert or place of wandering or hunger or pain, wherever, whatever it takes, I want to go there. I want to go there because there, the only thing I have left is you. That's it. There, none of my, what do they say, the crutches? The thumbs I suck. All those like security blankets, right? uh, Someone pointed out to me uh, in the the, uh, Charlie Brown Christmas special uh, when you've seen that.
0: Oh yeah, a few times.
1: Linus, Linus, uh, 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 Charlie Brown asks Linus what uh, you know about Christmas, and and Linus, what does Linus always carry? A blanket. Right? He's always stocking his thumb and carrying his blanket. It's a security blanket. Well, there's this like really discreet moment uh, where he starts to tell the story of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior who is coming. And, and when he says it, there's a I forget what the exact line is from the story in Luke, but he drops his blanket. He, he, he drops it on the ground and continues with the story. It's this really subtle, powerful moment where he literally removes the thumbs he sucks, and he sets down his blanket as he as he tells the story of the Savior. Uh, it, it's a powerful little half-a-second moment, but that's, that's the call here, I think, in this prayer, is, Lord, take me wherever I need to go. I will go there. Uh, I don't want all these security blankets, because they will keep me from you and from the body of
0: Christ. Amen. Amen. Our special guest has been Sam Van Emmon, and the book is called Disruptive Discipleship, The Power of Breaking Routine to Kickstart Your Faith, and uh, we've all been there. I'm having issues with the TV, as you mentioned, and uh, feel, you know, should I get rid of it or not, and everyone has their vice, but we can't be changed unless we're willing to be disrupted, and uh, you have some chapters in your book, Growing Restless, Growing Deeper, uh, Growing in Love. Uh, let's see, translating change, navigating valleys, and uh, what's the most challenging part of the book, and what's the greatest response you've had so far?
1: Oh, the most challenging, for me or for readers? Well, I guess both. Yeah. Um, oh my goodness, I don't know. I can answer the second question, Maybe we'll come back to the first. Uh, well, I, I'll say this, the i uh, will go over the first. Uh, the hardest part to write was probably Chapter 8, because in order to write Chapter 8, which was about valleys that we go through uh, unexpectedly, uh, I had to go through valleys to have a story to tell. And, and that that's a challenge, right? That comes at a cost. That, that cost me to write. But I appreciate it. I'm thankful for it. So that's an important chapter for me. Um, the feedback has been fantastic. I, here, here's what keeps happening. So I, I'll say this. I didn't sign up to write this. I wrote a book on pop culture advertising years ago, and I thought I was going to change the world and be a bestseller and all that. I was really immature in my thinking. This time, I was just coming out of a midlife transition, almost a crisis, if you will, some, just some dark times. I, did, I had nothing to write about, I wasn't thinking about this, and in, in, in through just some fortuitous moments, um, the Lord brought this to me and said, Sam, I, I want you to write this. this, the time is now for this. So, so I write this, and that has kept me uh, in sort of a humble state throughout this, it's been a really helpful um, observation of maturity in my own life, so that's been great to see, I'm like I'm actually growing up finally. But I got to... Uh, uh, I got to a point where like early readers start seeing it, and, and then I'm passing it on to friends, and then eventually a, a folks buying the book. And what they say over and over again is, Sam, this is not what I expected. This is, I thought you were just going to give me some like some more one two three Bible answers, Sunday school answers on how to grow. But I'm really I'm really challenged by this, um, and it's meeting me where I am. Right now, Mm. that's not something I expected, but people are saying that over and over again. So somehow, I think the the text, the the message, is is helping people recognize that where they're stuck and that they can't stay there. And I am so thankful for that. It just keeps happening over and over again. Thank you, Sam, for for helping me
0: breaking my routine. Breaking my
1: routine. Like I really have to take this to Jesus and figure out what I'm supposed to do.
0: Amen. Sam Van Emmen is the author, our special guest tonight, Disruptive Discipleship, The Power of Breaking Routine to Kickstart Your Faith, and we appreciate you being on the program. Not only that, if you'll leave us, what are your three favorite snacks? Oh, three favorite
1: snacks. Oh, my
0: goodness. Um,
1: (laughs) Trail trail snack, trail food, like gork, good old raisins. I don't just want raisins and peanuts. I I want some stale marshmallows, and that's a
0: little... (laughs) That's one.
1: Okay, so chocolate chips. So, So, all that. Chocolate chip cookies. I, the worst of me comes out if there are six people and only five chocolate chip cookies.
0: <laughs> Any kind or chips Ahoy? What are we talking here? Look like homemade. 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 All right. And number three.
1: Oh my goodness! So I love to suck on beef jerky on the trail. <laughs>
0: Well, we've learned a little bit about you and, of course, uh, how to break the routine to kickstart your faith. When Go out and get the book. It's called Disruptive Discipleship by Sam Van Emmon. Thanks again for being on the program.
1: Thank you, Michael. It was a pleasure.